Hello, how's everyone doing today? I'm here with special guest Steve, Stephen Kinsella. Stephen Kinsella is a um, patent attorney, anti-IP advocate. Uh, how are you doing today? Very well. How about yourself, Daniel? I'm doing well. Um, I guess my first question is um, name branding. Uh, I've heard some people say, I guess I want your thoughts on it, that um, one if taking using someone else's name, one, uh, it's somewhat fraudulent. If someone orders a Coke and someone gives them something else which they call a Coke, it isn't really a Coke, uh, how, doesn't that constitute fraud? Um, and a second argument that I've heard, if, if someone names a product, uses the same symbol and everything identical to someone else, uh, and is crap, that can severely you know, damage people's um, reputation. It can cause quite injury. Um, so I, I guess what are your thoughts, uh, mainly on name branding, I guess? So I think what you're getting at is the common argument given that is in favor of an aspect or type of intellectual property law called trademark law or maybe – because this is slightly unclear – maybe reputation rights or maybe uh, defamation law. Um, so let me ask you a question. Why do you think we assume that fraud is a category of libertarian rights violations. In other words, why do we assume well, that fraud is one I, thing I, that? Sure. Go ahead. Well, I would say it's a form of theft. If I, if if I'm if I am a selling someone medication, I say this medication cures cancer. If I would have told the truth, they would have never given me their money. So the yes, only reason exactly. they're giving me their property um, is because I say something. So yes. I I've stolen their. It's a form of theft. In a sense. Yes, it's a it's a theft in your case of the money, right? Because the mm -hmm. money was transferred without consent, and we have a similar concept. Like, you know, if you if you have a an operation from the doctor, let's say you need your appendix removed, okay? So you consent to the nurses and the doctor putting you under and cutting your body open and doing certain things to you. Normally, that would be aggression, right? Because they're invading your body, right? But you consented to it. So the question is, did you give informed consent, or did they lie to you about what they're going to do? Now, if the doctor – and you consent to an appendicitis, and he opens up your leg or your head or your chest and does something different, you didn't consent to that. That's really basically trespass or aggression or assault and battery. You know, So the question comes down to what did the consent relate to? So in the case of fraud… If you own a piece of tangible material property, you're entitled to allow people to use it or to deny them the right to use it. Right? That's what property rights are, and contract law is just an application of this, and so is fraud law in my view. And so I think you hit it right, but the problem is a lot of libertarians, and especially a lot of non-libertarians, use this term fraud in a loose, vague way to mean dishonesty. So if, for example, if you are a woman who's had a boob job or you're five years older than you say you are on a dating profile and you go out with a guy, then the objectivists or the libertarians might say, oh, you're, you've defrauded the guy. But by the analysis you first gave and which I'm going with, the question is what piece of property… Ownership did someone part with without informed consent because of this, and usually there's not. So usually well, when people throw the word fraud around, they mean it 
they use it to mean dishonesty. Well, and as libertarians, we know that it should not be a crime to be dishonest. It might be immoral, and it usually is immoral, but it is not a crime. It does not actually take someone's property without their consent. It does not usually amount to theft. Right. Well, on on that issue, because I was sort of just thinking this. Let's say you know a guy says to a girl, um, uh, if you know, it set, lies to her in order to to sleep with her. You know, you have sex with me, I'll marry you or whatever. Uh, and after you know it takes place, he doesn't do it. Um, would you know? Some may say would that count sort of in a sense as rape in the set simile. As as it would be in theft, that the only reason this person slept with you was because you said certain things, and and if you didn't say those things, that person wouldn't. So you were being dishonest in the same way, exchanging property. So here's my perspective on this. First of all, I am hesitant to engage in what's called armchair theorizing. I'm I'm hesitant to think that we can pronounce from our armchairs a, a, a universal law that applies to these concrete situations. Um, because in a, in the real life, you would always ask a lot of questions. You would you would be able to dig into the evidence. You would ask ev witnesses what happened. You would be able to consult the customs of the t of you know of the region or of the time. Um, I'm also hesitant to reverse engineer these kind of concepts because, for example, we use the word rape or murder or theft or trespass because these are clear-cut, unambiguous cases that we pretty much all agree with. And so then the question is, well, does this count as rape? Well, that's not really the question. The question is, does this action violate rights, and how would we categorize it? Now, if it's the same or effectively the same as an act of rape, then we would categorize it as rape, and it should be treated the same. But to be honest, I mean, the the classic case of rape is a case of some very strong man or group of men or people, and there's extreme coercion or force, literal force used against a helpless victim to um, use her body in a way that she doesn't consent to. Okay, that's what rape is, mm -hmm. and when you define it like that, there's an obvious reason why every right-thinking person would. You know, oppose it and agree that it is a rights violation and an invasion and immoral. But then when you say, well, if you lie to someone, you know, some college guy lying to a girl about his IQ maybe to get her into bed or whatever, or vice versa, some girl putting makeup on or having a boob job or, you know, Using some kind of false advertising, basically, to persuade some guy to do something with her, marry her, have bed, go to bed with her, um, and then we say, "Is this the same as rape?" Well, obviously, it's not the same as rape. It's something different. The question is, is it close enough so that we want to treat it the same? And I don't think that as libertarians or as reasoning people, we want to reason by analogy in every case. We want to step back and say. What's the fundamental principle at root here? The fundamental principle is self-ownership, body ownership, authority over your own life, and responsibility for your own life. And I, I mean from my armchair, and I admit that it is shaky, um, I have trouble pronouncing in definitively that someone that is a bit deceptive in 
defining their personal characteristics as a way to persuade someone to voluntarily go to bed with them is doing something that is tantamount to physical, coercive, forcible rape. So I, I am skeptical of that, although I'm not saying they're not a cad. They're not a lowlife. They're not a loser. They're not immoral. I'm not even saying they're not even violating some kind of right, although it's difficult to say what that would be. Right. Well, I, I would agree to that. I mean, you see commercials like uh, for uh, fast, you know, uh, fast food burgers or alcohol, and all these, you know, maybe there's this fat, unattractive guy, and he's using the product, and all these attractive women are, you know, want him. Obviously, I would say that that's not fraudulent, saying, you know, buy this product and women will like you, right? I mean, that's trying to that, – that's not the same as saying this product does certain things. That Well, may, I mean, I guess it's a kind of blurry, I guess, but um, – Well, not, not, not only is it not fraudulent, it's actually what we want people to do. We want people to persuade each other by voluntary act. In other words, we, we want people to try to persuade each other. Mm -hmm. That's what you want people to try to do, and if you can persuade, if you can persuade them, fine. But you don't want them to coerce them or force them into doing what you want to do. So this is actually the ideal societies where you have a society of people that respect each other's property rights, and all they do is try to persuade each other by speech right, or by advertising or whatever. At least that's not coercive and invasive. This, this is a good thing. This is a move, a, a progressive move. It's a move of, of progress. right? It's a move in the right direction. We don't want people trying to… Physically make you do what they want to do. We want them to try to persuade each other. Right. Right. So I, I would agree. So I, I mean, I so I guess like name branding and reputation, those sort of fall in the same lines. You don't own your reputation, so I guess you don't. Own yeah. Yeah. So I got on a bit of a tangent. So the question originally was about trademark. Um, trademark law is one aspect of intellectual property law. Um, uh, name, uh, reputation rights is a type of defamation law, which is parts mm -hmm. libel and um, uh, uh, slander. Libel is the written form of defamation. Slander is the oral form of defamation. But the basic idea is that if you publicize, you make public a communication where you uh, defame the reputation of someone else. You basically say a false statement that hurts their reputation, harms their reputation. Then there's an action, and I view that as a type of trademark type action or type of intellectual property law. Both of the ideas, the trademark idea and the slander, reputation, defamation, libel idea are based upon the idea that you have some kind of property right in your reputation or in what other people say or think about you. And those are totally both incompatible with property rights, the free market, and capitalism. Um, and they are both justified alternately based upon theories like you were giving earlier, you know, like the idea that um, you know, people are reducing the harm, they're increasing the harm to your, uh, they're, they're, they're imposing a harm on you, right, by making people think something about you that isn't true or whatever. Um, I think we have to step back from that. We have to we have to realize that in a free market, you can do whatever you want as long as you don't invade the property borders of others' property. And uh, trademark law. So the, the typical response to trademark law is that trademark law is justified because fraud should not be permitted. But the problem is trademark law. Well, the problem is first of all, we already have fraud law. 
So we have a law against fraud. Why do we need trademark law? No one, no one ever explains this. The only explanation you get is that, well, it's maybe more efficient to allow the holder of the trademark to file a lawsuit in his name on behalf of all the customers that have been harmed. But he doesn't have to prove the customers were harmed. He only has to prove what's called a likelihood of confusion. So trademark law basically is not linked to fraud law at all, and if it was, then then you have the question: Why do we need trademark law if we have fraud law? So yeah. trademark law, in my opinion, look when I when I started out with this anti-IP crusade, I thought patent and copyright were were horrible. Trademark law was mostly bad, but you could justify a, a bit of it, a vestige of it, based upon fraud law. But the more I've thought about it, trademark law is just as completely contrary to libertarian principles and justice as patent and copyright are. It's not as quantitatively harmful, I believe. It's number three on the scale, but it's bad, and it chills free speech. It reduces competition. It's used for legal, legal bullying, and it results in unjust redistributions of property, and um, it's completely unjustified. I, I would completely… Abolish if I were in charge. Not only patent and copyright law, I would abolish federal trademark law, and I would abolish all the international trademark treaties, and I would abolish state trademark statutory law, and I would even overturn state common law trademark law. I mean, it is all bad root and branch in my in my opinion. And trade secret law is too, which is the fourth big type of. IP law, although that's a, a distant number four on the things we have to worry about. Um, so I've heard some people say that, like when when you uh, exchange a product under certain conditions, like a person might own um, a building and sell and sell someone you know a room in the apartment building, and they'll say uh, you can live here, but you can't bring any pets or you can't paint. Uh, the home. Even though I'm selling it to you, I'm only going to sell it to you under you know certain conditions, right? I mean, this this would be legitimate. That's that's freedom of contract, right? So, uh, you know, someone can even maybe say something you know as insane as you know I'll sell you this car, but I don't like the city. I don't like Cincinnati, so I'll sell you this car only on the condition that you don't drive to um, Cincinnati. And if you agree, you sort of are bound uh, by that contract, right? So. Uh, I've heard some people say, similarly in response to this, if someone is selling you a book under the condition that you won't copy it, doesn't that undermine um, uh, the contract? You know, because you say yes, and then once you have the book, you you don't follow through. Yeah, so the, the, there's actually some people that are hostile to the idea of copyright that are so hostile, even I don't agree with them, because… They have this this sort of armchair libertarian view that you know if you buy something you should own it completely. Now I actually don't agree with that. I think that it's possible to and you should be able to um, have a contract with someone where you share ownership or where you contractually agree on certain consequences of doing certain actions with the property. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Okay. Um, I think the problem is that's very unrealistic in most cases. Look, so so let's say you go to the, the grocery store and you buy a a, 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 a 
you know, a, a jar of peanut butter. And the guy says, um, I'm going to sell you this peanut butter, but if you buy it, you have to agree you can only use this to eat it with a spoon on weekday nights. I, I don't know. You know, some crazy restriction. Now, if you enter into that contract and you clearly understand the consequences of breach of the contract, I have no problem with that. I think everyone's an idiot who does this because this is totally useless to everyone, but theoretically it's fine. We have a legal classification problem about how we define the nature of this relationship, but that's just a legal technical issue. In other words, do we say that… This means that the grocery store owner and the purchaser are co-owners of the peanut butter jar, or do we say that the buyer is the owner, but he has a contract with the grocery store, and he has an obligation to compensate them if he uses the peanut butter jar contrary to the contract? To my, to my mind, that's an inconsequential legal distinction. We can do it either way. I don't think it makes a big difference. But the point is you can see that this would be a totally um, uh, unpopular way of doing things. Look, if, if you have to buy potatoes at a market from buyer – seller A or seller B, and seller A just sells them to you for a dollar a pound, and you, you, know, you own the potatoes because you bought them, and seller B says, I will sell you these potatoes for 75 cents a pound. But you can only use them to make French fries, and if you use them for anything else, you have to pay me a million dollars damages. Well, honestly, if that contractual provision is really going to be enforceable, who in their right mind will buy from number two? They might buy from number two if his price is low enough, and they might say, okay, well, actually all I want to do is make French fries. So I don't mind binding myself to make french fries because I'm going to make french fries anyway, so mm -hmm. I can get a lower price. But in reality, this is just not going to work right? because it's too hard to track who's going to invade things. No one cares. Um, so these kinds of contractual restrictions are just not going to work in practice. It's the same thing – so some people say that… Imagine that um, the publishers go to Amazon.com, and they say, uh, we're going to sell you books only if you promise to make all your customers agree, sign on the dotted line, click a, a you know, terms of service, whatever, and they will agree to our, copy, our, our private copyright system, let's say. You know, That's fine, but… Who in their right mind would actually go to Amazon if you had to do that? I'm giving Amazon money every year. I'm a purchaser. I'm a customer, and if they're going to say, hey, you're a potential thief, and you have to sign on the dotted line, and if you, if you do the following, you're liable for a million dollars of damages or more, uh, they're not going to keep their customers for very long. So they're not going to go for this. It's ridiculous. The entire idea of uh, constructing some kind of faux copyright regime by contract is completely absurd. It's completely impossible. Cool. Um, to change the topic a little, I, I'm curious. What are your thoughts on some of these um, 
like there are certain uh, private communities that um, that have that that vote on certain things and sort of say, you know, we're going to have pri pri uh, private streets, we're going to have private electricity, and we're going to take a vote um, on, you know, what should go to what should go to entertainment, what should go to the gas company, and we're going to send you a bill. Um, would that be, uh, in your opinion, somewhat coercive because they're voting in that community? Is that sort of like a mini government and is in a sense coercive because they're sort of voting and whoever is outvoted, you know, tough for them and they have to surrender, you know? Well, I'd need, I'd, I'd need no, more, no more details to uh, figure this out, but um, first of all, I think the libertarian – and the anarchist is not against government. We're against the state, so let's be clear. So – and the reason I'm being clear is not for you, not for anarchists, but because when you say you're against the state, then you're, the immediate objection we run into from uh, status is that, well, then you're against law and order and whatever, right? Mm -hmm. um, so what they do is they equivocate. They, they distinguish between government and state. To my mind, I, th I try to think nowadays of the, of the concept of government as like I think of the concept of roads. In a free society, you would have roads, right, ways to get around, and you would have government. You would have institutions of law and justice. Mm -hmm. Forget about the details. Now, what's happened is the state has taken over, and the state has assumed the control of these institutions. So if you mention a road… Most people now would think it's state road, right? Yeah. If you mention government, they think of government as a state function. So if you say you're against the state, they think you're against roads. If you say you're against the state, they think you're against education right? because government education, public schools have become dominant. Mm -hmm. If you say you're against the state, they think you're against government by which they mean… The institutions that regulate rights and law and justice and police functions and defense and this kind of thing. Um, so the way I think of it is that this is all incorrect and that if you're a libertarian, you're in favor of roads. <laughs> you're in favor of transportation. You're in favor of commerce. You're in favor of education. You're in favor of government in the sense of institutions of law and justice. But you're not in favor of the state being the one that has a monopoly control of these institutions. Okay, mm -hmm. so to me, you have to make this distinction um, right off the bat because this gets blurred by people that attack us. Right? They want to say that if you're not uh, in favor of public schools, if you're not in favor of the police, then you're an anarchist in the sense that you want you know chaos on the streets. Look, I'm in favor of government. So I never say anymore that I'm against government, or I never say that um, statists are in favor. In fact, I think statists are against government. If you're in favor of the state, you're going to tear down the institutions of govern governance in this society. Right. Yeah. Um, I guess I would. I guess I would agree with that. Um, in a sense. Um, so I, I was. Having a debate recently, it was, it was sort of interesting. I th it had to do with uh, where we spoke last time that the jury uh, 
you know, themselves, if they, uh, set, if they say guilty for a victimless crime, they're uh, implicit um, in... Um, complicit. Com complicit. Uh, at, and the same if I hire, you know, someone to kill so-and-so. Um, and when I when I told this the person, um, the person had two responses which I thought were sort of interesting. One was, um, let's say you hire someone to um, murder your wife and the person doesn't go through with it. Are you punished? Because if you say no, then it's really up to him and his own free will whether uh, he decides to carry it out. You know, if I'm walking down the street and I tell someone to hurt someone, you know, isn't it their fault that they listen to me? Um, and the jury's just giving their own opinion about uh, what what should be a crime or not. They're not throwing him in jail. They're not sentencing him. They're just expressing uh, what their opinion is. Well, I think that that example conflates a couple of things. Um, it, it sort of assumes that we're, we're saying that if you just tell someone to do something that they should be liable, that we should be liable for what they do, and that's not what we say. Mm -hmm. um, but um, <laughs> you can't base a theory of justice upon the example of a guy trying to kill his wife or vice versa. I mean there are not many people that would disagree with the idea that you shouldn't be able to do that. I mean so, – so my basic idea is this. The libertarian idea is that you should not – so it, it really is rooted in Misesian – Mises and Austrian economics and praxeology. So the Misesian idea is that humans act. What does it mean to act? It means that we do things. What does that, what does that mean? That means we employ means in the world, things that we can use to change what's going to happen. Why do we do that? Because we have some idea of what's going to happen. We're not sure if some rough idea of the possibilities of, of the future events, right? and we don't like what's going to happen if we don't intervene. That's why we intervene. We intervene by acting, by employing means. right? So we try to change the course of events. This is what human life is. Most people don't think of it like this way, but this is what I think it is. The essence of human life is the attempt to change the course of future events to make them more to your liking. Right. Okay? And you do that by employing means, scarce things, and what that means to be more precise is to employ… Scarce resources or rivalrous resources that are causally efficacious. That it, that means they they're actually in accordance with causal laws. They can change what's going to happen, right? So we achieve the result we want to achieve. If, if you try to do something stupid, like if you think that chanting a uh, a rain spell or rain, doing a rain dance is going to change the rain falling on your, your little Polynesian island. Um, you're actually going to be wrong because rain, you know, there's no such thing as magic. Okay, so they're wrong. But if you think that using the law of gravity, the law of chemics, you know, chemical, uh, chemic chemistry, is going to be efficacious and help you achieve your goals, you can actually achieve your goals. So that's the fundamental fact that we face, right? Human beings act. We choose means to achieve our ends. Uh, Sorry, go back. Remind me what your question was, and I'll link it back up. Well, there, there were a few. I'm sort of I'm playing devil's advocate because I, I sort of agree with you, but um, 
you know, the question of, you know, you uh, hire someone or you say, you know, I'll oh, right. pay you a certain amount of money if you kill my wife. Right. Let's say he doesn't go through with it. Should I be punished just for offering that? Yeah, so, so let's go back to a paradigm example. So let's say that there's just you know, let's forget about complex social dynamics, and let's just say that um, I try to kill you. I pick up a stick, and I try to hit you in the head with it, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if I succeed, I bash your head in, and I kill you, and that's murder. And there's a certain response that we would say is justified in response to that, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if I miss, I miss your head by an inch. Or if I change my mind at the last second, it's not as bad because it doesn't actually kill you, right? Mm -hmm. Or if I'm just stupid and incompetent and I just don't carry out the plan. So these factors um, play into how we have a gradation of responsibility. This is why there's a difference in the law between… Um, Attempted murder and murder, right? This is why there's a difference in the law between a conspiracy to commit murder and actual murder. Um, there, there's a doctrine in the law that I always loved, and I am uh, not a positivist in the sense that I think that everything the law has developed is necessarily correct. However, I do respect some of the things they've come up with because they're pretty ingenious, and they do appeal… By and large, to things you and I would agree with, values you and I would agree with. So one doctrine is called the eggshell skull rule. So for example, let's say you're going down the sidewalk, and you see a guy, some little punk at your school who you don't like, okay? and you decide to slap him on the head just to, just to be an asshole. Okay? Now, normally that would be, I don't know what, a light form of aggression or whatever, right? Maybe he gets stung on his head, and he forgives you, or everyone forgets it, or he could sue you, but for a fairly small amount at worst. But let's suppose he has – he's got a, a weird condition where his, his skull is very thin, and no one knows this except for him or his parents. And you slap him on the head, you know, being a, a little jock punk, and you rupture his skull, and you kill him. All you meant to do is be an asshole, but you actually ended up killing someone, right? Mm -hmm. But you did it by an act of aggression. So under the eggshell skull rule of the common law, you're liable, and, and, and the rule is you take the victim as you find him. And I actually appreciate that. I think the idea is right. I think that if you have to decide who is responsible for this unexpected harm done to this uh, – abnormal victim. Is it the victim or is it the aggressor? Now, to my mind, the libertarian response is absent a good reason, you always side with the victim. Yeah. You never side with the aggressor. So if there's a choice, you know, if, if there's a difficult decision, you, you side with the victim because the victim didn't choose to become a victim. That's what being an aggressor means, right? So if you take those lessons to heart, I think that um, you see that if you hurt someone and the results and the damages are more than you expected, you know, too bad. You mm -hmm. shouldn't have done it. 
basically the right victim is the victim, not the aggressor. Sure. No, I would agree. I think if you end up giving, you know, if you give someone a paper cut and turns out they're a hemophiliac, well, that doesn't matter. Yeah, perfect example. I agree. Yeah. Um, how, how about, um, you know, someone, you know, hurt someone on purpose or hurt someone accidentally? Should, should the punishment be uh, the same? You know, if I'm working on a roof and my hammer slips and, you know, falls in and it kills someone, should, should, does it matter if, if it just, if it, if it kills someone as a result of it falling out of my hand or if I purposely stab him because the result is the same or uh, do you think there should be concepts such as, you know, first and second degree murder and all that? Well, so my first response is yes, it should matter because the intentionality plays into it. Um, um, I think that any reasonable society would would censure and respond to intentional, you know, harmful action more than they would negligent or accidental. Mm -hmm. Number one, I mean, it's just obvious that this would happen. Okay, but the other the other point is that. In almost every case you can imagine in an advanced society where these things are sort of developed and known, um, I think they would largely be handled by contractual stipulations ahead of time. So for example, the case you gave, you know, people don't just show up at a site working on some barn with a hammer falling through the roof. They're working for some company or some endeavor or whatever. And there's some owner of the property they're working on, and there's some rules that could be established or promulgated by the owner of the property or by a mutual association of the people that some of these people are working for or by a higher uh, you know, agency that their agencies are, are, are reporting to. So I think that in most cases like this, there would be basically contractual rules worked out. They specify, listen, if we have a problem like this, that's not an intentional harm, okay, just negligence or then here's how we work it out. And I think it would roughly fall along the lines of the common law negligence type model, um, but it would basically be, be contractual based upon property rights. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I, I would uh, I would agree with that. Um I mean, I th I, th I would agree with that. I mean, I think it makes a difference, you know, if, if someone is severely retarded and, and doesn't know what they're doing, right? I mean, do we hold that person accountable? I would say, you know, no. I mean, uh, you know, uh, um, you have to know what you're doing, I think, to be guilty of any type of punishment, I would say. No, abs absolutely. I, I don't think that... The fear of severe punishment or consequences for people that are severely debilitated, you know, retarded mm -hmm. people or whatever, is really what drives the right or the left or the libertarians. I, I think that we all recognize that there's a baseline human status that we have to deal with, and we have to come up with rules to deal with exceptional cases, and we do that. Now the Randian view, and I'm kind of an ex-Randian, and I kind of agree with a lot of her perspectives. The Randian view is that you know only normal, normal humans can survive and prosper and make value, the surplus of which could be used to take care of the people that are mm -hmm. on the edges of society, 
right? Yeah. So you have to make these rules to take care of the people that um, uh, can prosper, and um, you can take into account the interests of the people that are uh, are helpless or dependent, but they can't be the standard of morality. I, I kind of agree with that, um, mm -hmm. although I don't claim to be a, uh, a philosopher on this issue. Sure. Um, I guess my next my next question, and I, I think I'm, I might differ from a lot of libertarians in this, but you know I, I believe that violence should be used um, in self-defense uh, and reparations. So you know when it comes to um, you know and certain things, I think you know liber a lot of punishment is really just revenge. I think if someone you know murders someone. Wait, 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 wait. Back up a second. You say you disagree. You disagree with libertarians. So, what do you think the libertarian position is that you're disagreeing with? Well, I think a lot of libertarian. Well, I, I think the libertarian would position would be if someone um, commits murder, right? Yes. Okay. And let's say you know, 20 years goes by. This person hasn't committed harm to anyone. It yes. would be fine to to give that person the death penalty. I would say that's not self-defense at that point. That's aggression, um, and and therefore, you don't have a right to do that. Um, the well, person hold on. Right hold on. Wait, wait, hold on. Who who doesn't have a right to do that? I let's suppose uh, someone you know um, kills uh, someone, or let's say you no, know. No, I, I got the I got the original. You said right? you don't have the right to do that. So who who doesn't have the right to kill the murderer? Well, anyone, right? I I I because it's how. What, what 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 about the the victim's heirs? Well, I why, think why don't I have the right to kill him? Well, I I would say that you have a right to. I mean, I think punishment should be used as reparations, and I think, but what what yeah, what? That's not punishment then. If it's if it's reparations, it's not punishment. It's basically restitution. Right, right. So I right. So I I guess I believe in restitution only. Not by the way, I actually don't think we disagree more than you think we might on this. But I'm just All trying right. to. All right. I'm not playing devil's advocate. I'm just trying. All right, to tease, I appreciate. I'm trying to tease out the uh, the issue okay. here. Well, I guess I don't really believe in punishment. I believe in reparations. Then, and so, so I think I think if you if you commit some of violence against someone outside of self defense, you know, you can't say, well, it was self defense. What do you mean? He committed violence 20 years ago. He hasn't been a threat since then. You know. Um, this seems just like I'm mad here at someone else, so I'm going to hurt him. What? There's no reparations there. There's no self-defense. Right. Now I understand your perspective. So, so right. I mean, I'll give I'll give an example that'll help. Go ahead. Um, the Natalie Wood case. There are some people who say that Christopher Walken may have been guilty of drowning <laughs> Natalie. Wait, 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 wait. Back up a second. No <laughs> one's going to know what you're talking about. So, are you talking about the 19? 70s, 80s case of Robert, uh, what's his name's wife, Ragnar. who was thrown over the boat. Sure. Natalie Wood. Sure. Yes. Okay. Why don't you explain what happened to her? Because no one's going to okay. know about this. Because this Fine. is like ancient history. Fine. Natalie Wood fell off a boat. They claim that she was drunk, and she uh, fell off and drowned. Now there are some people who say that maybe she was pushed. Some have accused um, actor Christopher Walken. For doing it. Now, I would say Christopher Walken. There was no oh, wait, wait, wait. Who was her, who, wasn't her husband Robert Wagner? Conrad? Robert Wagner. Okay, right. all right, got it. But I think Christopher Walken was on the boat or whatever. I, I'm, I, I don't want to. I'm not. 
saying that I he's don't know. anything. But there are certain people who have said that, you know, uh, who want to try Christopher Walken for murdering Natalie Wood. Right? All right. I never heard this, but okay, go ahead. So I, I would say that in this case, that Christopher Walken has no history of any act of aggression. He's not violent towards anyone. Um, there, there's no reparations being done. This is just pure... Uh, wait, wait, wait a minute. But, okay. Keep, but, right? rep, reparations to whom? Well, there are no... Rep, well, if I simply throw someone in jail, what, what, what reparations are there? I'm not giving someone back anything. I'm not... I'm simply sitting in a cage or I'm simply being executed. Right? Well, I'm not, I mean, anytime there's a murder, there's never reparations possible because the victim's dead. Well, you can give some reparations. You could say, you know, you have to pay the person how much, you know, that person would, would make or... Uh, yeah, but that, but that doesn't bring the person back. That's true. So, so basically... I'm I'm actually kind of agreeing with you, but go ahead. Fine. Maybe I'm not saying run, run until your leash is done, and I'll get tied. <laughs> I'll, I'll 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 come in. Go ahead. All right. Maybe I'm not phrasing it the best way, but no, I'm, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'm I'm saying that. Um, well, yes, I I think it's sort of different than property. I I think that a a person who has not com even a person who's committed an act of violence, if a person this is not you know done it once, never done it again. Um, there's well, no but, way but, well, hold on, hold on a second. But violence is not. We libertarians are not against violence, so right. we got to be precise but, in our. Right, concept. he's not been aggressive. He's not been aggressive. Sorry, he's not been aggressive. Okay. Right, you know, murdered once in a crime of passion or whatever. Not, never well, done. It. Yeah, but 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 we don't know. In in the, in the case you gave, so so let's say in the case you gave, um. There are several possibilities, right? Mm -hmm. Natalie Wood was accidentally knocked off the boat. Maybe she got drunk and fell off. I don't know. Maybe maybe A pushed her off. Maybe B pushed her off. Maybe it was intentional. Maybe it was manslaughter. I don't know. I mean, what's, what's the prevailing theory? What's, what's the possible spectrum of theories here? Right. Well, I guess in this case, let's say you know she was pushed off to make it relevant. Well, yeah. Pushing sort of implies intentionality, I would assume. So that's murder. Sure. Yes, it is. Okay. So we have a, a an act of murder. Okay. And it's Christopher Walken or is it Wagner? I think Christopher Walken is the one. I'm, I don't want to ruin anyone's reputation, but I let's just Christopher Walken is is the name I've heard. You know, and if you've seen him in movies, it's more likely anyway. <laughs> but uh, but yes, why, Christopher. Why, why would he Why would he kill her? She was gorgeous. I agree. Who know, who, I, I'm not a psychopath. I don't know why people do crazy things. Um, that that's our problem. We can't identify with these people. But yeah. So so um, so the problem the problem to me there there's several problems. Um, I actually kind of agree with you in a way. Um, I think retribution. So so my view is that technically the fundamental libertarian right is to respond in kind. To people that have violated your rights, okay? Mm -hmm. But there's an epistemic issue that's uh, proving proving what happened, um, and that is there's a possibility of error, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, you and I both know that there are certain certain cases in life that occur in which everyone knows that this is basically 100%, and everyone knows what happened. 
but that's pretty rare. And so we also know of many other cases where people have been convicted beyond a shadow of a doubt, and then they've been acquitted on death row, or they've been found to be guilt innocent after they've been killed. So my thinking is that in any workable system, you have to take into account the epistemic problem of the infallibility – sorry, the fallibility of human knowledge. In other words, if you could find someone who was an actual outright kidnapper, rapist, murderer, whatever, and if you could prove it for sure, then my view is you could probably justify very severe punishment for them, including capital punishment. I think you could justify it. I'm not saying it would be it would be uh, cost effective. It doesn't really get anyone anything. It might get a couple of victims a little satisfaction, but could they pay the, the repercussions of that whole procedure? I don't think so. So my view is that in a free society, we would have very very little punitive punishment. But the idea that it's justified would be there. In other words. We are justified in punishing you and doing to you what you did to your victim, and even worse, mm -hmm. if only we could prove it for sure. But we can't prove it for sure, so you're saved by the bell for now, but if you if you test the boundaries too much, you're going to go down, dude. Someone is going to – we're going to find your body in a field one night, mm -hmm. and then no jury in the land is going to convict anyone of killing you. So – I think you might have a blend of sort of ad hoc justice combined with institu institutionalized justice. Um, my sort of idealized libertarian view is that in a free market, we have a restitution-based society, like you said, except with the realization that restitution is not perfect and never can be perfect because restitution can never make someone whole. Mm -hmm. You can never be made whole. You can never have the crime against you undone, um, and so we have to take that into account, and we have to come up with something that means something significant to the victim, and it means something significant to the aggressor, and it makes some difference and gives them a chance to come back into society and gives the victim a chance to redeem his or her reputation or whatever, and… Come back, you know. There's a whole book. There's books about this stuff, um, and I'm not opposed to it. But I think that the basic idea is that the community has to come together on a consensus of what is right and wrong. And once they do that, then you can come up with some reasonable solution to most conflicts. Right. If there's a if there's a solution, sometimes there's not. Like, um, like one of one of the reasons I bring this up, I was talking to someone, and I, I wasn't sure, and I sort of agreed with that the person who said I think the only people who should be in jail are people who commit physical violence. Like, you know, right now, um, Bernie Madoff is sitting in jail. He's not paying back his victims. He's just sitting in a jail cell at, where the victims are actually paying for him to be there through taxation. What good does that serve at all? Right? It may not make his life miserable, but his life is going to be miserable regardless, and the victims who he victimized are not benefiting at all by him sitting in a cell. What what purpose does this serve? 
Beyond, so I, I guess, a need for revenge or something. Yeah, but it's not. It's, 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 I agree. It's, it, it makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, um, I'm, I have no pity for Bernie Madoff, but right, uh, this is just the, the, the way the system deals with these kind of situations. Um, um, you know, uh, we could look at other cases like, uh, you know, Michael Milken. I mean, this guy. Was turned into you know the eighties you know he was a trader he made hundreds of millions of dollars by trading for companies, but he didn't do it the right way so he he went to jail. Mm -hmm. um, you know Martha Stewart went to jail for what? Lying to the police. <laughs> for lying to the police. I mean Bill Clinton got impeached for lying about a blow job. Yeah. Right. So I mean the whole the whole. Public system of justice is not justice. I think the big thing we can do, and maybe we can end here. I don't know if we, we have other topics, but I think the big thing we can do is to disassociate the idea of justice from what the law says because the law is a system that says people have to come to a jury or to a trial or whatever, and they have to decide… How you complied with the words of a statute, mm -hmm. right? Whether that statute is just or not, they just have to interpret words. That has absolutely nothing to do with justice. The original idea of justice, the ancient idea of justice, is that you, you know, a, a jury of your peers sit there and looks at you and they say, "Listen, we live in the same community as you. We know what the standards are. We know what the customs are." And here's how most reasonable people will react in this situation. Did you do that? Did you do right? Did you harm someone that you shouldn't have harmed or whatever? Those are reasonable questions, and you know what? Human life is messy, and if someone makes a mistake and disagrees, mm -hmm. I wouldn't blame them for that. But sure. most juries today, their job is did this guy have more than 10 ounces of marijuana? In his trunk when we stopped him, or you know, yeah. did this guy do X, Y, and Z? It's just arbitrary standards that have nothing to do with justice whatsoever. Their well, job, the, the jury their job is to interpret is words. Yeah. Well, the jury system now is just the Milgram experiment in action. I mean, you know, you're not judged by a jury of your peers; you're judged by a jury of their peers. Yeah. Yeah, I'm afraid that's true. So in a way, the jury system is uh, is like a uh, a Trojan horse because they make us think that we have huh. more control than we do. Right. Yeah, that's true. Um, I I I guess well one one final question um, re related I guess to this. Um, what what are your thoughts on um, double jeopardy and and things like that? Because I I think if if let's say someone had a, a not a fair trial or a corrupted trial or there's new evidence, you know why why shouldn't the person be tried again for the crime? Um, right? Well, that's actually an um, interesting question. Uh, in the U.S. system, it plays into the dual nature of our judicial system, which is that we have a federal and a state system. So, for example, the O.J. case, um, O.J. was acquitted. Uh, a murder, although from what I could tell, he pretty clearly committed murder. Yes. 
and he was acquitted because of the uh, racial constitution of his jury, which I actually don't blame them for. I understand that, but still, I think he was a murderer. Mm -hmm. But then he was tried in a civil trial for you know, the civil equivalent of murder in a state version because double jeopardy doesn't apply in there. Um, and I don't have a problem with that. I, uh, that's just an example of a, of a you know polycentrism or de decentralization. Um, double jeopardy. I look at rules like double jeopardy and rules like the presumption of innocence. Right? We say that people have they're presumed innocent until proven guilty, and everyone sort of incorporates these rules. So so here's the perversion of, in our society. Um, People hear this all the time. They hear the, you know, the uh, all these warnings that police give the defendants and everything. Um, but um, you know, the thing is that you're presumed innocent until proven guilty by the police, right? But not by the civilian corps. But um, it, it doesn't really matter because the police can do whatever the hell they want. Right. Yep. So the presumption. So, so it's kind of turned around on its head because I don't. I don't think that everyday people should be required to presume people are innocent. I think you should be free to judge people based upon common sense, prejudices, and, and judgments. Like this guy looks like he's dangerous, or this guy has a bad record, or whatever. I'm going to. Keep clear from him and, until he proves himself to be trustworthy. That is the natural way of things. There's nothing wrong with that. So the the law basically penalizes that, you know, and justifies the government's uh, overreach at the same time. So um, that's kind of my take on that. All right. So I'm, I'm I guess I'm not really sure if, if you support double jeopardy then or or not. So I, I support – so double jeopardy is um, – I don't think it's a natural – here's what I would say. It's not a natural right, but it's, a, it's what we call a prophylactic right. It's something that we support as a way to keep the government it's, – it's, it's almost like the, the presumption of liberty. The presumption of liberty is not a natural right, but if the government doesn't have that presumption built in… Then we're in big danger from the government. Okay, yes. so as liberals, as libertarians, we should support the institutional support for the presumption of liberty, and I also think we should support the institutional support for the the, uh, the double jeopardy rule and other rules that are like that. So I'm in favor of it. I don't think it's a natural right, but I think it's a in, important procedural or prophylactic right. That will keep the state at bay a little bit. That's that's my take on it. All right, cool. All right, uh, thanks for your time. Uh, great having you on again. I enjoyed it, Daniel. Thanks. Let's do it again. Yep. Take care. Bye. Thanks.